Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title today is A Meaningful Life, Ecclesiastes. And I'm going to go take us through the whole book of Ecclesiastes. You know I usually can't get through two verses. I'm going to go through the whole book of Ecclesiastes. So let me pray before I try this, all right? Father, we thank you for the worship and bringing us together this morning. Pray for the many people traveling, for safety for them, for time of refresh, refreshing for them. But pray that your spirit would speak to us now through your word. And, and you know what each one of us is struggling with and how we need to grow. And we just ask your Holy Spirit to do this work. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to give you a shortcut today. So many people spend their lives, even Christians, we spend our lives chasing a lie. We try to fill this God hole in our heart with everything out there. We just try, there's a a hole in our heart that's really a God-sized hole that only he can fill, but we try to fill it with everything else and we end up empty. And so many people live empty lives. Even when they look like they have it all, they're still living empty lives. Servant Magazine, I kept a couple articles out of this recently. Here's one by Eric Clapton. Some of you might remember that guy with the guitar. And he's, he was sharing his story, and he said, he goes, here I am, a guy that has everything. A beautiful wife, cars, solid gold career, I'm young, I'm healthy. It was everything a man could want, and yet every night I would want to kill myself, and I wanted to die. Internally, I was falling to pieces. Eric Clapton talking about his lifelong battle with drugs, alcohol, and suicide. Billy Graham met with a president of Harvard University, and he asked the president, he said, what is your greatest problem, the greatest problem that your students face here at Harvard, top college in the country, right? And the president looked out the window, and he just said, emptiness, emptiness. And he's probably speaking for himself, too, wasn't he? A little more recent, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey said, this is a quote from, in Reader's Digest, he said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. That's, this is, we see this over and over again that nothing can fill this God-soul's God-sized hole. Say that ten times fast. We all have this hole in our heart that only God can fill, and many spend their whole lives trying to fill it with something besides God, and we end up empty. And there's only one way to fill that, and that's a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And we can only have that relationship by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. There has to be that time in our life where we are born spiritually. Just like we're born physically, we have to be born spiritually. Where we say, God, I believe my sin and my rebellion and the garbage in my life separates me from you. And I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on that cross for me and come back alive from the dead to prove he was the son of God. And I put my faith in him. I put my hope in him. I, I give my life to your son Jesus Christ. And when we take that step, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God comes in and fills that God-sized hole, and, and it changes our life. And when we live for Him, 
That's the difference. We've been looking at, we finished up Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount. We talked about building our life on a foundation of rock or sand. That would be Jesus and his word versus anything else. Remember that? Then we moved into how important that, that, we talked about how the only way to survive and to thrive in this life, the storms of this life, is by having Jesus Christ and his words as that rock. Then we talked about 1 John 2, 15 to 17, how the world stresses all these temporary things. Remember the pride of life, the lust of the eyes. We went through all the things that the world stresses, but how it was temporary. It doesn't last. Only what we do for Jesus Christ is eternal. And now we're going to see here in Ecclesiastes today that not only is life apart from Christ temporary, but it's empty too. It's very, very empty. Only a relationship with Jesus Christ and a life lived for him can truly fulfill us. Truly fulfill us. This is a shocking book, Ecclesiastes. Shocking. It was written by... Solomon, King Solomon. Now, he wrote three books in his life. He wrote Song of Solomon when he was a young man in love, and it's a beautiful love story of a husband and wife, awesome. He wrote that when he was young. Then he writes the book of Proverbs, middle-aged, about my age probably, a middle-aged guy. Now he's wise, you know, mature, and he writes Proverbs, awesome book. But he writes Ecclesiastes when he's an old man. At the end of his life, and he says some crazy things. If you did your homework assignment and read the book of Ecclesiastes, he says some crazy things that aren't true. They're really not true, right? He says life is meaningless, and he, and he says we're no better than animals. We're going to die and just like an animal go down the grave. And life is meaningless. And, and the real theme is life is meaningless. He says all these crazy things that aren't true. But they are true, and this is why God included it in the Bible, why the Holy Spirit made sure it was in the Bible, is because they are true of somebody who turns away from God. Someone who, first of all, doesn't know God, or someone who follows God and then turns away from that relationship to follow something else or to make something else more important than God in their life. And it is true. This is, someone, this is the true expression of someone's mental, spiritual state if they turn their back on God. Turn their back on God. If we, if we live our own life apart from God, this is true. This is how we're going to feel. This is what life is going to seem like. It's going to seem like it's meaningless. So not everything he says here is true, but it's true of someone who turns their back on God. And when Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, he was a miserable man. This is a miserable... You read Song of Solomon and you read this, or Proverbs and then you read this. This guy is miserable. It's a sad, sad story. This is, it's, it's really incredible. This is the same guy that God appeared to says you can have one wish. Can you imagine that? Not like the genie three wishes. God only gave him one, right? But he says you can have one wish. What do you want? He asked for wisdom. Could have had anything. So God says, I'm going to give you everything else too. Everything. God appeared to him. And then Solomon builds the temple to God, this awesome gold-plated temple to God. The Holy Spirit comes in visibly. There's a cloud that just pours in, and, and God speaks to him out of the cloud. This is this guy knew God like, like none of us is ever going to probably experience that, right? That level of God speaking to them. And yet, how could he end up like this? How could he write the book of Ecclesiastes and be this miserable guy? Well, the clue to that is in 1 Kings. In 1 Kings 11, let me read to you some of the verses here. 
And this is our clue what happened to Solomon. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Malik, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. On the hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Shemash, the detestable god of Moab, and for Malik, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Child sacrifices, by the way. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Wow. Wow. That's a warning for all of us, isn't it? Maybe someone here, probably all of us, are struggling with something. We're trying to find our fulfillment in something besides Jesus Christ. We're tempted to turn back. I'm going to give you a shortcut here in Ecclesiastes. Because what Solomon found out is for us. It's for us. And he starts off back in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 1, verses 1 and 2 is really the theme of the book. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. The word meaningless here means breath or wind or vapor. That's what, that's what he says life is like. And it's amazing. This guy had it all. He had good looks. He had movie star looks. You read Song of Solomon. Every, you know, he had the looks. He had the brains. He didn't just score a perfect score on the SAT. He wrote the SAT. This guy was brilliant. He had money. The Bible says that during his time in Jerusalem, silver was like, like a rock. It's just like a stone. It was just worthless to everybody because there was so much gold in Jerusalem at this time. He had women, a thousand women at his beck and command, 700 wives and 300 concubines. Concubine is not exactly a wife, but it's, uh, think of friends with benefits. You know, he, you know he, he's the, like B-level wives, right? And he, he had any woman he wanted. He had it all. you think this guy would be very happy, right? But he had it all without God. He turned his back on God, and it was empty. And I want to save us, save you and me and all of us a lot of trouble if we would just listen to Solomon and the mistakes he made, because we can learn from other people's mistakes. He says, here's some things that he found are meaningless. Ecclesiastes 1, 16 says this. I thought to myself, look, I've grown in grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then 
then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly, but I learned that this too is, this too is a chasing after the wind. So he, he says that wisdom is meaningless. Even verse 18, for with, with much wisdom comes sorrow and more knowledge, the more grief. I know some of you uh, high schoolers are saying, amen, yes, amen, yeah. I, I tell my parents that all the time and my teachers. This, I'm never going to use this. You know? Why do I have to study this, right? That's not what he's talking about here. We know it's good to be wise. So how can Solomon, the wisest guy ever, say these things? How? Because Proverbs 9.10, which he should have remembered, he wrote it. Proverbs 9.10 says, For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Solomon lost his fear of the Lord. He lost his knowledge of the Holy One. He lost that relationship with God. And in the process, he lost his mind. He lost his mind. Because man's wisdom without God is empty. And this is what he's trying to point out here. Man's Because his, his wisdom now is without God. And he said it's meaningless. And that's true. Man's wisdom without God is empty. And, and it, you don't have to be out. Those who are in college know what I'm talking about. You go to your philosophy classes, and they don't have any answers to the real meaning of life. You go to the science classes if you're in a, a secular school, in a college, and, and they, it's, it's, you, want, you want to see that science doesn't have the answer? They, they believe that we came from monkeys. I mean, think about that. That's man's wisdom. We came from monkeys or, or, well, there's very little proof of that. So now it must be aliens. Aliens came in. That's the new theory now. The aliens dropped off pods of people throughout time, and that's where we came from. That's the best that the world's wisdom can do. Now, there's a lot of godly scientists. We have scientists here that are Christians, and, and they know where we came from. We come from God, and it makes sense. Wisdom with God, science with God, philosophy with God makes sense. It's not meaningless. But that's what the world comes up with. Solomon was without God at this time. Ecclesiastes 2, he says, pleasures are meaningless. Verse 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, I'm sorry. I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Pleasures are meaningless. He says in verse 3, I tried cheering myself with wine. Meaningless. Verse 4, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. And he goes on to say all the things that he did. Meaningless. All the hobbies, all the things that he found meaning in the hobbies that he did. That, you know, he, it was just meaningless to him. Verse 8, I amassed silver and gold for myself. All this gold and silver. Meaningless. I, uh, I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. He had a huge harem, meaningless. Verse 10, I denied myself nothing. Talk about pleasure, nothing. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work and this was reward for all my labor. He tried everything, indulged everything. Verse 11, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing new was gained under the sun. Pleasures were totally meaningless. Meaningless. And the world tells us just the opposite, doesn't it? It says, get high, 
to experience an adrenaline rush. Live on the edge. Follow every impulse you have. Look what the Supreme Court just ruled this week. Anything goes, right? Anything goes. I'm going to give you a shortcut. Listen to Solomon. And also learn to read between the lines. When you read the news and you read between the lines, listen, if drugs and alcohol are, are so, make us so happy, why do addictions leave us so low instead? Right? Why are so many... If being famous is the answer, why do so many famous people kill themselves, commit suicide? Why, if, why do so many people dump that beautiful model if sex is so great with that, that model? Think of, think of Solomon, a thousand wives. He could have had anybody, and he was empty because he missed something. Song of Solomon was the answer. He had one wonderful wife that God gave him. He experienced true love, and he dumped it. He dumped it. Pleasures are meaningless. Wisdom is meaningless. Verse, chapter 2, verse 17 says work is meaningless. And I know somebody's saying, amen, I can't like going to work. All right, here we go. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me, all of it meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Work is meaningless. Now, we all know that God gave Adam work to do in the garden before the fall, before sin. So work is from God. It's not a, a punishment. The problem is if we pursue work apart from God, if we make an idol out of that, or we pursue a career without God's leading, we're going to be miserable. So many people are chasing careers, and they make an idol out of their, their job and their career, and out of money, not considering what God wants. Here's the thing. If we choose and follow a career without God's leading, we're going to be empty. We're going to spend hours and a whole lifetime of just being miserable in our job. Why do most people choose a major? Money. You talk to the most high school graduates getting out, why are you going to major in blah, blah, blah? Most of the time it's because of money. Not our grads. Uh, obviously Amanda picked something because she loves to do it and she can impact people. But most people pick it because of money. They don't, it's not, they don't think, well, or their parents pressure them into picking that because of the money, right? Instead of, who has God created me to be? What has God created me to do? What is my purpose in this life? And money's not the issue. The issue is, what am I created to be and to do? That's the key to finding that fulfillment and work. But if we do the work without God, or we make an idol out of the money that comes along with it, it's going to be empty. Close related to that is that riches are meaningless. In fact, Solomon gives several chapters, chapters 5 and 6, in Ecclesiastes, how riches are meaningless. I'm just going to hit a couple of them here. In fact, uh, where's that slide? I think we have a slide here. George Carlin's slide. Do you have that there? Ah, yes. Uh, Lori sent me one. This is good. It says, trying to be happy by accumulating possessions is like trying to satisfy hunger by taping sandwiches all over your body. As only George Carlin can explain Ecclesiastes, all right? Chapter 5, verse 10, he says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. There's never enough. It doesn't matter how much you have. It's not enough. He says in verse 12, he says, 
The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. The worries that come with it. Verse 15. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when he has a son, there's nothing left for him. Naked, oh, I I read ahead of that. Naked, a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You don't get to take it with you. And riches don't make us happy. They're meaningless. I grew up not in a wealthy area. I grew up in a blue-collar farming area where what would be considered poor to people in New Hope. And I remember when I came to this area, I was over at Washington Crossing in the New Hope area as a youth pastor, and I remember coming how shocked I was when I got here because I just saw these people all these big houses and all this money and nice cars and kids had everything they wanted. I thought they were going to be happy. I didn't have to go out and bale hay and throw a thousand bales of hay a day or a week and, and clean out cow manure and do all the things that we had to do. I thought they were going to be happy and I get here. And it was a shock to me as a youth pastor that people were so unhappy. And all these wealthy people, it was just a facade. People thought they had it all, but they didn't. It was a facade. They were miserable. And the young people, the first, one of the first things they had to deal with when I came was a teen suicide. One of the kids killed himself, and everybody else wanted to kill themselves too. It was crazy. And I'm like, what is going on? These kids they have everything, and they all want to die? And that's when it really hit me that money does not make us happy. It doesn't make us happy. How about us? Have we believed the lie? Are we chasing the wind? Are we living an empty life? Maybe it's education. It's good if we pursue it's good, education's good, but if we pursue it without God, it's a dead end. Maybe we're looking at pleasures. And maybe you've been reaching all your life for pleasure to, to soothe or to, to, to feel better about yourself at, or, or, or to find, just to fill that hole in the heart. Maybe you've used pleasures, but you've been experiencing the law of diminishing returns, the bigger highs and the sexual lies. You've, ex, you've experienced it. Maybe it's work. Have you ever taken your work before God and said, God, what do you want me to do? It's those who serve who find meaning. If our goal with our work is to serve, that's how we find meaning. We're all missionaries. It doesn't matter what job we're in. If we realize that we're missionaries, that God's sent us into where we are to, to serve him, that's what gives meaning to our work. Maybe it's riches. None, now, none of these things are bad. None of them are bad in and of themselves. It's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to have pleasure. It's not wrong. It's a gift that God's given us. Education and, and work. All these things are good. They're, all, they're not bad. They're all good if, we're enjo- if we enjoy them as blessings from God. But it becomes a problem. Instead of we enjoy them as blessings from God, we make them our gods. Little g gods. Our idols in our life. 
And if we make an idol out of it, we're going to be miserable. We're going to be empty. Even our children, doesn't matter what, even making our children can become that. It's going to be empty. We're going to have an empty life, and we're going to face an empty death, too. And the reverse is true, too. If we, if we re, rearrange our life and put God number one, we put all that under God and, and focus on Him, and enjoy the blessings that He gives us, but He's God, He's why we are living, the, the opposite is true, too. I remember watching a documentary on TV one time on Pete Maravich. Some of you remember Pete Maravich, Pistol Pete. And it was a really sad documentary at the beginning because this was on one of the ESPNs or something. This guy totally dedicated himself to basketball, lived for basketball. His father really pushed him, really, really pushed him. And, and they had this bond, and he just did everything for basketball. And what he did was amazing. Score, he averaged 44 points a game in college. I mean, if somebody scores 44 points in college now, it's a big deal. He averaged that for his career. Unbelievable player. Became a pro, all-star. But his life in this document, documentary, he was so empty. He was an alcoholic. He never won a championship. He never found that fulfillment. He started looking for UFOs and aliens, trying to find meaning. His mother committed suicide, which devastated him, just wiped him out. And he hit rock bottom, and, and he started searching. And he, I can't remember exactly how, but he, he ends up finding Jesus Christ, and he becomes a Christian. He's born again. And this documentary brings this out. It said he was totally transformed. He gets married. He has kids. Everybody's amazed at the new Pete Maravich. That, that he, he went around sharing his faith everywhere, started speaking everywhere. Everybody's amazed because this guy now had meaning. He had peace. And his father gets cancer. He's going to die of cancer. He moves his father in with the family. And his dad, who was, was, had the rough life, you know, rough character, accepts Christ. Becomes a Christian living with Pete amazing transformation and he's out playing basketball one day and it was with actually with James Dobson Pete Maravich is out playing basketball and he says I feel he hadn't played in a long time he had been off retired for a couple years and he he was playing he says I feel great I want to do this more often I feel really good he dropped dead of a heart attack they did an autopsy on him they found out that he only had half of a heart all that basketball kept him alive, kept him alive, but it didn't fulfill him, didn't fill his heart. It wasn't until he put his faith in Jesus Christ that he found that fulfillment, and then God brought him home. Powerful story. If you ever get a chance to watch his story, it's powerful. And there's also a movie called The Pistol that's great for the kids, super, super movie. Listen to Solomon's conclusion. You get to the end of Solomon, end of Ecclesiastes, and Solomon's conclusion says, and this is for all of us, a shortcut. Now all has been heard, verse 13, chapter 12, verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Fear God. The word, when you talk about fearing God, you're talking about respect and love shown by keeping his commandments. It's talking about the relationship we have. Think of parents. When you have parents, you should respect them and obey them. That's what keeps the relationship 
healthy and strong, and it's good for the kids. <laughs> but, but if we don't, it messes it up. And that's the idea here is, is God is our heavenly father, and we're to love him and to respect him and to follow him. And he says that's the whole duty of man. That's the reason we're here. That's the only way we're going to find meaning in our life is through this relationship with God. And the sad thing is that he had to go through all of this to come back to what he already knew. Read the book of Proverbs. He already knew this. He was already living this. And yet he had to go through all this misery and emptiness to come back to the starting point and realize Proverbs all over again. I remember studying the book of Ecclesiastes for the first time. It was, it was when I was in seminary. I was a security guard, and I would do my... I was on the late shift. I would go to midnight studying, because there was nobody there. I would just study. And I remember I was assigned Ecclesiastes, and I was writing a paper on it and studying it, really getting into this book for the first time ever. And I was depressed. I'll never forget. I remember Saturday night, I'm depressed. It was so sad. I said, God, this guy had so much promise. How could this happen to Solomon? I mean, if it could happen to Solomon, it could happen to me. Yeah, right? Amen, right? It could happen to any of us. How could this happen to this guy? I was so down. And I remember the next morning, Kim and I, we went to church, and we were in a little country church at the time. We spent three years there as a youth pastor and assistant pastor, and and. I was teaching Sunday school that day. This is back when they had Sunday school. Sorry, Bixels. So uh, that's when they had Sunday school. And I don't remember what I taught, but I remember what I learned that day. I'll never forget it. It was somebody's birthday. And we used to, it was a big deal. This, was, this woman was turning 80 years old. Her name, I'll call her Mrs. T. I'm going to use her real name just in case it ever gets back to some of her relatives. But, but Mrs. T was turning 80 years old. What a godly lady. And this woman, they were all excited before starting science school. And she says, okay, Mrs. T, you're 80, and, and, and we'll have to say something. And, and this is a woman who had never been to college. She was a widow now, very poor, lived in a tiny little house. Tiny little house, run down. The youth group used to go over and take care of her and mow her lawn and rake her leaves and... And we just tried to help out her. She only had one child, a daughter who was mentally challenged. Serious challenges. Didn't know what was going to happen someday when she was to pass away. This woman had every reason in the world to be unhappy. And yet I'll never forget what she shared that morning. She said, I've been a Christian for 75 years now. And I can tell you that there's nothing better than living for God and serving him. And and this woman was glowing. She had joy on her face. She was probably never a pretty woman, but she was beautiful. And it hit me. As she comes to the end of her life, that she had more wisdom and was far richer than King Solomon at the end of his life. Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer, how is God speaking to each one of us?
Maybe you're not a Christian yet. Maybe that hole in your heart just feels a lot bigger after today. The emptiness. The meaninglessness of a life without Jesus. There's only one way to fill that hole. And that's by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And you don't have to walk out of here with a hole in your heart. You can have it filled right now. Right where you're sitting. By turning to God and asking him to fill you. Just say, God, I, I ask you to forgive me for my sin. I repent of it. I want to turn away from that old life. I ask you to forgive me. Put my faith in your son, Jesus Christ, who died for me, who rose again for me. I put my faith in him. I want to follow Jesus. I give you my life, God. I want to follow him. If you've prayed that prayer, then you don't have a hole in your heart anymore. It's just been filled with the spirit of Jesus Christ. And you're going to be a brand new person. You're not going to be, you're going to be even more unhappy in sin now. You're going to be more empty trying to follow those things. There's only one person that can fill that hole. It's the one you just asked in. It's, your, it's Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Maybe you came with a friend or family or tell me on the way out or fill the card. Let somebody know so that we can be excited and help you grow in your new faith. For those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us today? We have to battle the world's lies every day, don't we? Every day we have to battle the lies. But we know that there's only one way to be happy, to have joy, to have peace, to have meaning in our life, and that is making God number one and following him. What is the Holy Spirit convicting us of? What is one area of our life that we've been seeking meaning apart from Jesus Christ or outside of his will in some way? We don't have to be totally backslidden like Solomon to be miserable, do we? Because now, since the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and his spirit's living inside of each one of us, and Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you have been sealed to the day of redemption. As soon as things are out of whack, we feel, we, we feel that grief because we've grieved the Holy Spirit. We sense it. Don't ignore that. Respond to the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Live a life in step with the Spirit. Turn to God and ask for his mercy and grace. Father, we live in a world that is empty, that has no direction. Pray that your spirit would move in our hearts, keep us close to you so that we can help other people find the love of Christ. Pray that in Jesus' name.